Well, turn the book of Galatians, if you would, put your finger there and turn as well to Acts chapter number 11. We're going to be looking a little bit at Acts chapter number 11 this evening, is it? Uh, and Acts 15, is that's where some of our story uh, that's addressed in this passage takes place. Thus far in this study uh, on the book of Galatians, we have uh, had the privilege of looking at an introduction to Galatians, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, the declaration of the gospel given to us in 3 through 5, uh, the desertion of the gospel, that leaving and separation from it in verses 6 through 10, and the divulgence of the gospel in chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. Last week, we looked at the dispute of the gospel in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. These first 10 verses of this chapter, Galatians chapter number 2, deal with the events that took place at the Jerusalem Council. And uh, we talked about that last week, and that is relayed to us in the book of Acts in chapter number 15. Now, shortly after the uh, Jerusalem Council was, had taken place, we don't know how long after, some would say very quickly after, some would say even a couple of years after, we don't know exactly, but sometime after, Peter goes to Antioch for a visit. And the scene that unfolds for us on the pages of Scripture gives for us a front row seat to a very shocking uh, conflict between Paul and Peter. It makes it very real and very plain to us that there is a problem when people do not behave like they say they believe. Last week at the Marriage Matters Conference, it seemed that there was a theme that was part of the conference. It certainly was not planned, and it wasn't the title of every session, but it's something that seemed to come up over and over again in the sessions that were taught, and that is to be real. Be real. Pastor Moore brought a session on the most damaging thing in the Christian home, and I began to contemplate and think about that title and what, what it was he'd be addressing, and uh, other people surmised, you know, and thought, well, it, it, it's probably the TV. Uh, or, or maybe it's just, you know, unfiltered access to the Internet. Or, you know what, unforgiveness is a very damaging thing in the home. Or, or you know, maybe unbridled anger, uncontrolled anger. These are very, very damaging things in the home. But I was struck with the truth and the reality of it when he said that it was hypocrisy. And I would have to agree the destructiveness of this seemingly innocent deception is literally unfathomable. We can't know how far-reaching a little bit of hypocrisy in our life goes. Imagine my surprise when I began to study the continuation of chapter number 2. We finished through verse number 11 last week, or 10 I mean, and we beginning in verse number 11 this week, and I was shocked to see that these verses deal directly with hypocrisy. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 11, Paul's opening salvo, his, his direct implication of Peter's hypocrisy here he deals with. And verses 12 through 14 give the specifics. But we see here in verse number 11, he says, But Peter, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed, very directly stating and publicly stating for everybody uh, this confrontation which took place between Peter and Paul. 
We see here there's some descriptive things, some things we learn about it very quickly. He says, first of all, we know that it took place in Antioch. We don't know when exactly, but sometime after the Jerusalem Council had met, that uh, the persecuted believers there in Jerusalem, uh, they, they wandered or drifted or to escape persecution, moved towards Antioch, and a church was started in Antioch sometime after the stoning of Stephen. Then this church in Antioch began to grow and uh, experience the blessings of God and seeing God working in their midst. Boy, the numerous victories that were noised abroad of what God was doing in Antioch stirred the people of Jerusalem and said, boy, we want to hear what's going on. And so the church of Jerusalem sent Barnabas to go help them. Now we see that take place in the book of Acts. If you would turn to Acts chapter number 11, we don't have time and aren't going to read all of these things that are pertaining to this, but just look down at verse number 25 and we'll read verse 25 and 26. He says, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So he's going down to Antioch, but he says, hey, I'm going to run by Tarsus and pick up, uh, you know, Saul on my way. I'm going to get Paul. He's going to go with me because I need his help. In verse number 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. The people here, we see that first name, the first title given to Christians, those that were Christ-like. They were first called Christians in Antioch. I think it's pretty amazing and notable for us that not only were they first called Christians in Antioch, but the very first accusation that, hey, Christians are hypocrites, was also launched in Antioch. It's pretty amazing to me that that took place. He says here that not only did it take place in Antioch, but that it took place face to face. Paul says, hey, I've got a problem with, Paul, with Peter. I'm going to go talk to him. You know, beloved, that's how problems should be addressed is face-to-face. If you have a concern, or have an issue, or have a problem, or have a question, you ought to go to whom the person it pertaineth and talk to them. That's what Matthew 18 tells us to do. And by the way, if you don't have enough gumption, or don't think it's important enough to go talk to them about it, then you need to just get over it. Instead of just sitting and stewing and pouting and whining and complaining and talking to a bunch of other people about it, you just need to get over it. You need to let it go. Either be man enough or woman enough to go talk to him face to face and say, hey, I have somewhat against thee. I have a concern. There's, there's a problem. There's, there's something that I need to, to get right or get addressed. And if you can't do that, then just ask God and help you get over it and let it go. Just let it go. That, you know, one of the blessings that I have, it is also one of my curses, but one of the blessings I have is I have a bad memory. And so I just forget. And so I, I can just move on and I'm not worried about it at all. And I have no ought or ill in my heart and mostly because I just forgot. <laughs> so, hey, ask God to give you bad memory if that's what you need to do. But it does you no good to sit and stew and pout and whine and complain about some problem you have. If you need to, do what Paul did and go talk to him. Amen. That's what he said. I did it face to face. He said, I went to him. And he says here he withstood he withstood him. Now that word withstood, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't pretend to know much about Greek, but I, from my study here, there are some people that do and I can read after them. And they say that this withstood is a tense or a, a, has a strong meaning behind it that literally means an attack. 
like you would withstand an attack. Like this attack here that Peter launched upon the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, beloved, this was probably not intentional. Peter did not intend to attack Paul. Peter did not intend to attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, beloved, regardless of whether it was intentional or not, that was the outcome. Christian, when God's people live a lie, they undermine the message of the gospel. That is a fact. They undermine the message of the gospel. They're telling the rest of the world that their faith is a farce. That it's all just a show. That there's nothing really behind what it is they say they believe. On one hand, they'll say this, but then they'll, people will see them do something else, and the two don't match. And that's why Christians all the world over have the reputation of being hypocrites. Because they're not practicing what they say they believe. Beloved, this must have been hard for Paul to do, to go talk to Peter. Peter was a leader in the church. Paul was relatively young to, to this thing. And here, uh, Peter was an apostle. And Peter uh, was a preacher of Pentecost. And Peter was part of the church of Jerusalem. And Peter was recognized and had some, some great authority about what he was saying. I'm sure that Paul was concerned about going and talking to Peter. But there was something he had to talk to him about, and he was willing to do it. Let me encourage you, when we're dealing with somebody that happens to be in a position of authority, and I've tried to teach my kids this, yes, you can come to dad and you can talk to me, but you do so with respect. You, you approach it with the right spirit and the right attitude. And any, any leader that, that should be in a position of leadership ought to be able to have somebody come and ask a question. It shouldn't be a problem for somebody in leadership, for somebody else to come and say, hey, I, I saw something I'm a little concerned about, or I'm not sure this is the best thing. What, what do you think? It should be okay, and if the leader's in a, in a position and he cannot uh, be questioned, he has a pride problem. He has another problem. We need to, from, from the pastor all the way to the kid in the nursery, we ought to all be able to accept reproof. Because there's none of us that have arrived. There's none of us that are without error. There's none of us that aren't at times uh, at fault. And Peter, although he was a leader in the church, and I've got this all the way down to my last point, but it's pretty shocking that Peter, if Peter can get tripped up by a little bit of hypocrisy, you and I can. And I want you to understand that every one of us uh, at times falls short of what we should be. And maybe it's by God's grace he sends somebody to help get our attention. And we need to be able to be talked to. We need to be able to have somebody come and love and concern and, and, and say, hey, what about this, brother? What about this, sister? Was probably very hard for Peter to do, but Peter did it. This confrontation with Peter was recognized, but then the condemnation of Peter, as Paul said to him, hey, he was to blame. He laid it out. He said, there's, there's a problem now in the church, and the reason there's a problem is because of how Peter was acting. Peter was the one to blame. And mind you, this is recorded. This is put in the Word of God, and this is out for everybody to read. The condemnation of Peter. Mark Twain said this, We are all like the moon. We have a dark side we don't want anybody to see. 
God's people ought to strive to live true and transparent lives. We see, first of all, the implication of hypocrisy in verse number 11 here. That just, hey, there's a problem, Peter. Then what is the impulse of hypocrisy given to us in verse number 12? What is that motivating factor? What would cause somebody to practice hypocrisy in their life? We see in verse number 12, he says, Before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. There are a lot of different motives that people have for practicing hypocrisy, and none of them are good. We see here, first of all, the conduct that is hypocritical that's described for us in these verses. You see, Peter, as he came to Antioch, he found there the church was thriving and Gentiles are being saved and the work of God was moving forward and Peter was just getting in. He was just enjoying it, just having a good time. And we see here he was sitting down and this, these words, did eat, has the implication, and I don't know the tenses of the Greek and, and the you know, male and female verbs and all of that kind of stuff, but they, they say that it has the, the implication or the statement of a continuation of eating. Uh, not just a one-time thing. You know, sometimes you slip up, and that's not, what, and that's not what hypocrisy is. When somebody is sincere, and they're serving God, and they're headed in the right direction, and old Slewfoot comes and trips them up, and they fall, and they realize they've done wrong, and they say, God, forgive me, help me to do better, to get back up and head the right direction. That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when somebody is consistently living a lie. So he says here, he says, hey, you did eat. You, you continue to hang out and talk with everybody and you actually were treating these Gentiles as they should have been treated as Christians, not as uncircumcised dogs, which is how the Jews recognized Gentile people. You see, for the faithful Jew, if he was going back to the letter of the law, he would have felt that he was going to defile himself by spending time with Gentile dogs. They could not sit down and eat with the Gentile dogs. They couldn't do that. They would defile themselves. And, but Peter had been doing it. He had been sitting down eating. He had been enjoying it. The fellowship was good. These Christians that had come to Christ. And it says here, before certain men came from Jerusalem. You see, before these certain people came, now I said from Jerusalem, it says from James. Now James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So James, uh, for whatever the motivation or reason, maybe he wanted to show their support and, hey, I'm going to send a couple guys to go down and, and, and just help you go out and reach people or we're going to help you do some work on the church or whatever his motivation, there was some people that the church of Jerusalem, under James' direction, he sent down there. Now, he sent down some, some Jewish people, some people that would have been circumcised and would have lined up with the belief that in order to truly experience all that God offers the Christian, he not only needs to come to salvation, but he needs to follow Jewish tradition and be circumcised and follow the law and all of that. Now, beloved, Peter knew from his experience in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, and we're not going to take time to turn there, but he knew that God said, what God hath cleansed, call not common. 
And he knew that when God saved Cornelius, that God saved him, and that that was a fact, and he understood that. There's no question about it. Peter expressed his understanding of this argument in Acts chapter 15. Would you turn there with me, if you would? Acts chapter 15, beginning in verse number 7. We're going to see Peter's conversation regarding this after the Council of Jerusalem here. I had a lot of fun studying this. I hope you're having fun listening to it. So he says, Acts 15 here, he says, And when they had been much disputing, okay, they've been discussing this, right? Peter rose up and he said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God which knew the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no deference between us and them, preferring their hearts by faith, sorry, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? He says, hey, why are you trying to put the, the, the yoke or the, this, this, the law on their neck? Our fathers couldn't handle it. We couldn't handle it. Why are you trying to put it on their neck? He says here that we could, we're able to bear, in verse number 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and to Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So it's very clear that Peter understood the truth. He's, these are his words that he is giving there at the Jerusalem Council. He's saying, hey, there is no reason God's grace was shed into the hearts of the Jew and Gentile alike. The law is no, no sway one way or the other on this. Why would you want to put that on them? So Peter understood that, and he, when he went to, to Antioch to sit into fellowship with these Gentiles, he was excited about it. He freely ate with them at their table, and he enjoyed it. Now, beloved, if it was wrong, and he shouldn't have done it, then he should have stopped and got it right immediately. But if it wasn't wrong, then he shouldn't have stopped it. I recall, I've told you this illustration before, but it's just very fitting for right here. Uh, I remember in college one night, we were having a pizza party in our dorm room at about midnight, which lights out at 11. You're not allowed to have pizza parties after 11 o'clock. Uh, that's against the rules. Yes, we're a bunch of Bible college students studying to be in the ministry, and we were all breaking the rules. We were eating pizza, and we were enjoying ourselves. We were having a good time. Some guy, you know, he worked at Pizza Hut or something, and they had a bunch of extra pizza, and he brought a whole stack of pizza home. And, I mean, you can't let it go to waste. So about half the dorm woke up, and we were all <laughs> in one room, just, like, piled in there eating pizza. And another college student came in, and he laughed with us and joked with us, and he ate pizza with us. And then he left and went and knocked on the dorm captain's room, and told and gave all of our names to the dorm, the dorm captain. And all of us got 10 demerits. And he got a big pat on the back for being a tattletale. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, I looked, I could not believe that. I, I went and talked to him about it. I said that, you know, the hypocrisy that you went and you stood there with us, you ate pizza with us. If it was wrong, you could have stood up and been man enough and stood there at the door and said, guys, you shouldn't do this. You need to go to bed. This isn't right. That's what you should have done. But you were looking for brownie points. You were looking to get praise of men. And so you went and told instead of just manning up and doing what you should have done. I said, now, we were wrong. There's no question in that. And we probably deserve the 10 demerits. But I was very unhappy with him. <laughs> so I, I went to him face to face and told him. But uh, God forgave him and I forgave him. It's just, a fitting, it's just a fitting illustration here. I got no odd in my heart against him. It is what it is. But you uh, understand he was obviously uh, hypocritical in his actions. And that's what happened here with Peter. Peter had been sitting down and eating with them and having a good time and everything. Now, all of a sudden, these Jews from Jerusalem show up, and he steps away and moves out here. And all of a sudden, he's not comfortable sitting at the table anymore. He's not going to be associating with those Gentile dogs anymore. Romans 2, verse number 1 says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, from wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. There's a story of a rather pompous deacon standing in front of a Sunday school class and he was expressing to the boys the importance of living a Christian life. 24 hours a day, seven days a week describing the fact that Christianity was not just a Sunday morning thing. And he said to the boys, he said, young men, tell me, why would people call me a Christian? And one of the boys quickly piped up, because they don't know you. <laughs> Sadly, that is the testimony for many of God's people, and that's not what we should be. We, we ought to have a testimony. There's not a question of whether you're a Christian or not. When these Jews came, Peter stepped away. We see here the conduct that was hypocritical was described for us. And we see the motivation, the reasons here. First of all, it was the companions that pressure us. This is external motivation. Peter went from sitting at the celebration to standing afar off. And as I wrote those words, I could not help but think about another time when Peter was standing afar off. It was from his Savior, Jesus Christ, when he denied him. And at that time, the motivation was the crowd. You remember, the crowd said, oh, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And he's like, oh, no. No, no, not, not, not me. That, you must have made a mistake. Peter, because of the pressure of the crowd, those that are around him decided to deny Christ. And here, because of the pressure of the crowd, he decided to step away from the Gentiles and not recognize their salvation as real and true from Christ. Beloved, the problem is when we want to look good in front of others. Now, peer pressure is a good thing if it's pressuring you to do right. So peer pressure can be good and peer pressure can be bad. We all deal with peer pressure and you know what? We actually have control of who's pressuring us. You just have to change who you're hanging around. 
If they're... If you're finding it increasingly difficult to live as God wants you to live, that the peer pressure around you is pressuring you to do wrong, then change who you're hanging around. And you'll get around some people that are loving God and following the Lord and consistent and faithful to church, and those people will be putting pressure on you to be in God's house. Some people say, well, I don't like that pressure, and that's why I don't hang around them. I would much rather the pressure to go and be at a party or to go and in involve myself in the things of the world or to find out what the latest movies are or to listen to the, to the latest, uh, you know, uh, billboard top hit list or whatever it is. You know, the people that you're around are talking about those things and you feel pressure to learn about it or to know what's going on in the world. You need to change who you're hanging around so that you're pressured to do right, pressured to learn the book, pressured to walk with God. Pressured to be in God's house. Amen? That's the kind of pressure we need. We need time with people that are going to motivate us to do right. There is external pressure. This is a motivation why people uh, live false lives, why they are hypocrites. Because they want to look good before men, but not really truly be good in their hearts. We see the consternation that stirs us. This is internal pressure. In verse number 12 here, he says that, uh, i got to back up and get to verse 12. He says that he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and he separated himself. He says, fearing them which were of the circumcision. You see, fearing men, fearing what men think of us, this internal fear that we have, the anxiety or the stress about it. Peter feared the impact that the Jewish leaders were going to have on his reputation. He said, these guys are going to go back to the church of Jerusalem and tell all them, I was sitting and hobnobbing with the Gentiles and I'm going to lose a lot of respect back there. And he was afraid of losing that respect and so he stepped away. There's internal fear. Beloved, we need to be concerned about pleasing one person and that's God. The problem here is men, it's not a matter of wanting to do what's right. It's a matter of wanting to look good. It literally had nothing to do with the law, but with looking good before man. Well, beloved, the impact of hypocrisy is great. It's far reaching, far more reaching than we could even imagine. We see here in verse number 13, and the other Jews dissembled, likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. Now, dissembled and dissimulation literally means hypocrisy. They followed along, they continued with this hypocrisy. Beloved, we all have a circle of influence. We have people that are watching us. Nobody lives unto themselves. These other Jews dissembled with him. Each and every one of us impact more people than we think we do. Our lives are influencing others to either pursue God or to play church. What we say and what we do has a huge impact 
I can recall people coming to church here and, and you know, different comments that have been made about how they were shocked at how many people that they had talked to or had seen that were here consistently, that they're in church, that, they're, that, they're, uh, that they showed up, that they're present. And, and just people notice. People see that. How many of you, don't, don't raise your hand, how many of you ever invited somebody to church and the Sunday that they came, you weren't here? <laughs> I know that's happened to a number of you because people have come and asked me, hey, where's so-and-so? And it's not that you were skipping church. We're talking a Thursday night crowd. You're, you're on vacation or you were homesick or whatever. I worked on my dentist to come to church for 10 years. The Sunday out of 10 years that my dentist come to church, the only time in 10 years he comes to church and I wasn't here. <laughs> I was out of town. Yeah, I, said, I, I told him next week, I'm like, you were waiting until I was out of town. I've been inviting you to church for a long time. You come on the Sunday when I'm not there. And uh, I said, you, now you got to come back again because you didn't get to hear me preach. So got to come another time. Yeah, but that, that happens. People notice. Can I tell you that the closer the relationship, the greater the impact of your hypocrisy You know, little things people will grab a hold of. At the Marriage Matters Conference, Dad, Dad told you about how uh, one year, I don't know whether he said eight or ten TVs, because we didn't have a TV in our home. People heard he had eight or ten TVs given to him. And I told you how he'd bring it in one door and carry it out the other. Well, do you know one day I was sent to Dad's office to get something? I went into my Dad's office, and I opened his closet door in his office, and there was a TV sitting in there. And immediately, as a young boy, I, I looked at that and I said, Dad's a hypocrite. Dad wants to have a standard for us that we can't watch TV and he's got a TV in his closet. Now listen, I, I, I don't know anything about that, whether you know, somebody could have just brought that into the office and said, you know, here, preacher, wanted to give this to you. And you know, he threw it in the closet there and you know, it could have been there a few days or a few weeks, I don't know, and dad might have thrown it away, I'm not sure. But for me, I just grabbed a hold of that as a teen and said, okay, there's an inconsistency that I can grab a hold of. Well, you know, people are watching and the closer they are to you, the greater impact your dissimulation, your hypocrisy has. And the more likely it is that they'll see it. The more likely it is that it will be evident. As Pastor Moore said, one of the most damaging things you can do is stand up in your family and say, do this, do this, do this, and then live something else. The impact of hypocrisy is great. We have a circle of influence we have a compelling testimony. Beloved, you can hear the hurt in Paul's voice here when he says that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. He said, the other Jews dissembled likewise with him insomuch that Barnabas, even Barnabas was carried away with this hypocrisy, with this lie. It was impacting and affecting the church. Paul's friend in the ministry. There's got to come a time where there's an interruption where we stop 
the hypocrisy. In verse number 14, he says, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, if thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? You see, beloved, we see a confrontation here. He confronts him in 14a there, the beginning. I want you to know, beloved, that God will confront you. This is a public offense, and therefore it was a public confrontation. It was a public rebuke. He said unto Peter before them all, before everybody, listen, well, sin is private, well, it's still just something between you and God or you and another individual. You can deal with that privately. It doesn't need to be made public. But God has a way. If you don't deal with it privately, God has a way of bringing it to the forefront. God has a way of making it public. The old saying, be sure your sin will find you out. The fact of the matter is, is you and I can only live as hypocrites for so long before it's made readily evident to all around that we are hypocrites. That we are not living up to what we say we believe. God will confront you and I. The old sermon, payday someday, leaves for us that statement that the time is coming for those that are unrepentant and don't turn back to God, that God is going to bring those chickens home to roost. He's going to cause those two worlds that you're living in to collide. The Christian who decides to live as a hypocrite tries to come to church and put on a show and carry his Bible and dress a certain way and act a certain way and then they, they leave here, they go home or they go out into the world or they go into the workforce and the two do not meet because they're not living the rest of the week like they're saying they believe on Sunday. You walk around church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And you go home and you have a filthy, uncontrolled mouth. Don't tell me you can't control it. Because for some reason, somehow you are able to, when you come through those doors back there, somehow you're able to control it. For the whole time you're around all these Christians, you're able to control the conversation and what comes out of this mouth. But then you go home and somehow there is no control. That's a choice you make. You decide to do that. You act like you're a Christian and you desire and want to be with other Christians when you're here at church. But then you're just as comfortable and act just like you want to be with those that are in the world as well. I read a I don't know if you'd call it a parable or what, but a story about a bat. 
a bat who decided he wanted to fly with the birds. And so he would get with the birds and he would try and convince them that he was a bird and he would fly and he would fly. But then later when he was tired of flying, he was on the ground and he was walking and he was among the beast. And he just tried to describe to them that, no, no, I'm a beast. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm a beast. And, and no, you don't want to harm me because I'm a beast. And then it came to be that he really was neither one. And he was rejected by both and relegated to live and only come out at night when nobody would see him. The hypocrite has no place to call home. That's one of the reasons there's so many miserable Christians. They got enough of God, they can't be comfortable in the world, and they've got enough of the world, they can't be comfortable in the church. The answer, beloved, is to get rid of the world. Jump in with two feet. Commit wholeheartedly to God. Let God take your life and glorify Him with it and experience the joy that God meant for the Christian to have. I wonder how many people know you're a Christian by your social media post. I read a statement the other day that convicted me. I don't do much on social media. I have a Facebook page, but I haven't updated it in a long, long time. I don't do much on there at all personally. But I read something from another pastor the other day that convicted me, and the statement was this. If somebody can't find Jesus on your page, you're not a very good Christian. If somebody, by reading your social media posts, cannot find their way to Christ, then you're posting about the wrong stuff. And I'm not saying there's something wrong with posting about your, your fried chicken or whatever it is you had for dinner. I, I don't, if that's fine. Hey, I enjoy cooking and I like eating. Amen. <laughs> That's why I enjoy cooking, because I enjoy eating. <laughs> and so the better it is, the, I mean, the, the more I enjoy it, man, good food, I'm all about it. So that's fine. But uh, how often are we posting about the love of Christ and the forgiveness of sin and the Savior that came into the world? That those are the things that are going to impact this world, not what I ate for dinner. And so what is my goal in my social media post? You see, beloved, there's going to be a confrontation. God's going to confront you somehow. He might do it through his word. He might do it through his man like Paul did here to Peter. He might do it through a family member who would call into question your activities. And you know just as well as I that our first response is to bristle up to be offended, to not like it, especially if it's true. We sure don't like it. But he's going to confront you. He says here in our verse that, and he said unto Peter before them all, if thou, I'm sorry, verse, I started reading too late, verse 14 beginning, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly, that walking uprightly literally means straight. It means in accordance with the truth of the gospel. He says, walking upright according to the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that all believers were brothers in Christ. They should have been treated the same. 
But Peter wasn't doing that. So not only is he going to confront you, but there's going to be a challenge. You're going to be challenged to change. And beloved, if we're not walking uprightly, we need to change. Amen? That's what we need. There needs to come a time where we're confronted with the truth and the reality of our actions. And we need to change what it is that we're doing. You and I need to respond humbly with a repentant spirit. There is not in this text or anywhere else in the pages of Scripture any implication that Peter responded in any way but correct to this rebuke by Paul. We need to walk uprightly. We need to walk straight. And if we're not walking straight, we need to change it. We need to change it. Psalms chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in the holy hill? He that walketh uprightly. That means straight. That means in accordance to the truth of the gospel. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. And he goes on, but beloved, the one that's going to dwell in the tabernacle of God is the one that's walking uprightly. If we're not walking straight, the challenge tonight is to change our walk. To adjust it. Beloved, if Peter, who he was, can be impacted by people, the peer pressure around him, and by the fear in his own heart, you and I can too. These things affect us all. And we've got to strive and be sure to live in accordance with the truth of the gospel and not live by the fear of men. We've got to strive to be like Paul, who would not rest until what men thought him to be was consistent with what he knew he was in his heart. Which is why he says in another passage, I strive to live with a conscience void of offense before God and man. Nobody knows you like your own conscience. Nobody knows me like my own conscience. God knows if we're walking uprightly or if he challenged us tonight.